Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, he doesn't read reviews because good or bad, they just don't help him. Welcome, Tony Shalhoub. A-OK. A-OK. My guest today is the Golden Globe, Screen Actors Guild, Emmy, and Grammy award-winning actor, Tony Shalhoub. He made culinary film history with Big Night and has a long list of illustrious film credits that include Longtime Companion, Barton Fink, Honeymoon in Vegas, Searching for Bobby Fischer, IQ, Men in Black, A Civil Action, Galaxy Quest, Primary Colors, Spy Kids, Made Up, and Pain and Gain. He has appeared in over 30 television shows, but highlights include the sitcom Wings, the award-winning performance as the title character in Monk, Too Big to Fail, Nurse Jackie, and Brain Dead. A graduate of the Yale School of Drama, he's been nominated for the Tony Award at least three times. His Broadway plays include The Odd Couple, The Heidi Chronicles, Conversations with My Father, Lend Me a Tenor, Golden Boy, and Act One. He recently completed the band's visit to critical acclaim and is soon to return to Broadway in The Price. He has lent his voice to many animated films, books, and video games. He directs. He produces. He's married to the beautiful actress Brooke Adams. He is a mad, passionate fan of the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) And I want to welcome Tony Shalhoub to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be here. This is amazing. Now, I'm married to someone who I believe had a cheese head on when I met him. And this is how much I love him because I still married him. So think just that image. He didn't wear it to the wedding. He wore it down the aisle in lieu of a yarmulke. He uh, (laughs) was just a little Green Bay yarmulke. I think they make... She's had Yamakas too. I'm not I sure really why. hope so. Wait a minute. Is is Dominic from, from Wisconsin? Dominic is from Madison. I I guess I didn't know that. Yes. My husband and Tony both crossed paths on Nurse Jackie. Right. And there are so many 
similarities when I when I look at your story and his story. My husband is the ninth of ten children. No. I kid you not. His father grew up working for Oscar Mayer, which is a, a meat organization, although your father My father was a, sort of an a, independent businessman. That's right. That's independent right. contractor. Amazing. Amazing. You both grew up in the Midwest. His father was of Italian descent. Your your father was Lebanese, but both immigrants in a culture, bo- a pretty both, white culture. Right. And we yes. both were cheeseheads at our wedding. <laughs> so in lieu of yarmulkes. Phenomenal. It is. You actually are Dominic Famosa. This is very strange for me. <laughs> I didn't know that about him. I know, but but his passion for the Green Bay Packers has backfired a little bit because, oh. look, we don't live in the Midwest, so our children don't have the same. Um, sure. they, they have conflicts of interest in their own schoolyards. However, we have started to send him out of the house to watch the games because he gets to. Local. An- animated. Are you an animated or are you a more internal nail biter? I am, no, I am very animated uh, when the game is on. As much screaming and stomping of my feet and throwing things at the at the set. And right. Like it's your team. Like you're on the team or you're coaching the team. Well, I, I feel that they need me to, <laughs> to be that animated. Are you superstitious? I, I wouldn't say it's superstitious. I'd say it's more science-based. If you were home watching the game and your team was winning, and someone walked in the room, and suddenly they fumbled or there was an interception or something bad happened, (laughs) would you blame the person who came in the room? Uh, Not. I I, I wouldn't admit to doing that. (laughs) I wouldn't say it out loud. But it's not beneath you. I might think the thought. All right. Well, let's go back a little bit in time to growing up in Green Bay, which is is the... um, the home base of this team that means so much to all of us. What was it like in your household? You were the ninth of ten. That's right, the youngest boy, and uh, it was it was bedlam. It was a close knit, and still is actually a close knit family. Is it true that he came here at ten years old as an orphan? Is that your, well, is yeah. that true? He was your actually, father's. Story? He was actually eight. Uh, he came with his siblings. His parents said. Uh, died in Lebanon, and this was 1920. Did they speak English? No, they did not. Was and there family in the U.S.? Is that what brought them here? Yes, there was. There were relatives that had already uh, migrated here, and um, they were sent for. But they lived. The children lived there uh, after the parents had died. Lived there for two or three years with just the help of an uncle or various oh. neighbors or friends. It was really difficult. Yeah. They made it over, you know, went left Beirut, came through Marseille, came to New York, Ellis Island. Why they all ended up in Wisconsin, I can't answer that. They couldn't answer that. And your mom was also of Lebanese descent. That's right. But born in America? That's right. So how did they meet? They met. (laughs) Now we're getting into the weeds. (laughs) They were kind of related. Okay. Let's just say that. Is that part Um, of why you're a genius? No, that's by why there's... (laughs) It explains a lot about okay. my everything. My neuroses. Okay. She remembers uh when they all got off the train, I think, and she she told us the story. She saw you know, the she was only probably two years older than him. And they got off the train and he and she thought to herself, you know, thank you God for sending Joe for me to marry. At twelve or yeah. at ten or whatever. She was ten she and was. he was eight. Cut so she to, was like a mystic. Yes. Yeah. Cut to, you know, a couple decades later, and sure enough, there they were. And, and then 
the babies started coming. Yes, that's okay. fantastic. And coincidentally, I also saw, and, and you can correct me if this is true, but is it in fact true that your wife, Brooke Adams, is a descendant of John Adams? According to my wife, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And that I is absolutely true. No one has come forward to dispute it. Okay. So I'm going to go with that story. Yes. Don't you think who we are from? It's impactful. I think it is. And, and uh, you know, people always ask me questions about Monk. becoming an actor or my process yeah. or whatever that means. And I always feel that being one of the youngest, you don't have as much of a, a voice. Mm-hmm. You're more, you become more of an observer, I think. At least that was that was true in my case, and uh, and I always feel like I am not only my my process, but my my entire personality really is kind of a product of all of these other uh, all of my siblings. I draw from them, and I feel that they kind of, in a way, molded me for good or for ill, and. Um, I take great comfort in that, and I, I'm I'm very grateful for that, too. I, I always feel like when I'm doing a part, when I'm on the stage, I'm kind of carrying mm. all of that with me. Obviously, at some point, uh, somewhere along the line, whether it was a teacher, a sibling, the arts came into your life. Can mm-hmm. you talk about the beginning of your realizing that you were going to be an actor? One of my older sisters was in high school. They were doing a operetta there. They, they were doing King and I. Uh-huh. And I guess they must have asked the, the girls. At the, it, was, it was an all-girls school. If they had any kids bring, that they bring could your, share. Bring, we need kids. Bring your right. brothers and sisters. So uh, that was the story. I wasn't exactly, you know, asked. I was just kind of... Recruited. Yeah, you could... Yeah. Kidnapped, I yeah, think. Yeah, you were word. actually... I was abducted. Let's... But then... Uh, there I, I was. I just found myself there, and I was six, probably. And um, I know maybe that's where the hook was mm-hmm. set. And so I, I'm grateful to her that she that she dragged me to that. That she kidnapped you. That she put and you in the trunk is, of the car. She is still a, a wonderful actress. And she's still acting. She, In fact, she's on the Netflix show, Stranger Things. That's she's amazing. She's like having an amazing time That's now. amazing. She does a lot of theater. She lives in Atlanta. She's doing good, and... And, you know, there's others, a couple of others of us who kind of keep our hand in it, too. Right. But even more than going and doing that play, I think there was just growing up in that, and I think your husband would vouch for this, that there's a, there's a certain kind of pressure almost to perform. You have a kind of a built-in audience, of course. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of performance going on in our household. Right. You know, just people trying to make each other laugh and entertain each other. and Or maybe just even to get a little... Attention. A tiny bit of yeah. attention. Yeah, forget. Please. I know there's no milk left, but maybe yeah, I can mother, make you laugh. My mother's, you know, like passed out on the couch and she's so exhausted. <laughs> yes, because she's been pregnant for 20 years yes. straight. Absolutely. I'm not getting, you know, a lot of no. action there. No. So um, we, were, we were kind of like a... a you know, it was a little bit of a three-ring circus. So you weren't day. shy as a kid. Well, I, I mean, y- you really couldn't be shy because you were, you were sort of prompted and coaxed to, you know, like, what do you, what do you yeah. got? Like, wait, what, wait. you know, who do number you, nine? Yeah, who can you imitate? <laughs> and you know that kind of thing. When I saw Barton Fink, I don't know how early on in your career that was. Was that one of your earlier movies? Oh yeah, it was. I think my. 
second or third movie. Did you audition for that? Oh, yes. Do you remember? I remember it very well. I went in to meet uh, Joel and Ethan, and uh, I I had seen Blood Simple. That was their first movie I was aware of. And I was so knocked out. It was so unlike anything I'd ever seen. And then when I read Barton Fink, I really felt like I I I love this period of time. First of all, that you know that 1940s. Oh thing. yeah, just so much I fun. Feel like I can kind of fit into that. Yeah. So I did read for them. I know that I read for them here in New York. I lived in New York then, and then they told me or they told my representatives that they were going out to Los Angeles after seeing a lot of people for various roles here. They were going out to L.A. to read people there. That's good. That's fine. So weeks passed, three, maybe even four weeks passed before I, you know, got word that I was going to be able to do it. Listen, I don't know what the hell you said to Lipnick, but the son of a bitch likes you. You understand that, Fink? He likes you. He's taken an interest Never make Lipnick like you. Never! I, I, I don't understand. Death? He likes you! He's taken an interest. What the hell did you say to him? I didn't say anything. Well, he's taken an interest. That means he'll make your life hell, which I could care less about. But since I drew the short straw to supervise this turkey, he's going to be all over me, too. You make huge choices in that scene. How were you so confident so early on to be so brave? And it's brilliant. Were well, you scared I was afraid- to do that, or were you like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go for it? I was a little anxious about it going into the audition. I knew that John Turturro was going to be playing that part, and uh, I think he was already cast, and I think John Goodman was already cast. And, you know, John Turturro, um, we, we didn't overlap at Yale, but he was there right after me. And I know I knew John from his theater work, too, and and I I figured, okay, well, they've cast John, and John is... You know, he's a certain uh, size and uh, kind of uh, strange inventiveness to him. And I thought, I think maybe I'm going to, I think I'm going to just sort of like go for that. And if it's too big, they'll, they can tone me down. They didn't really tone me down. It's <laughs> they, fantastic. They gave me, they gave me a, a lot of, you know, they gave me a lot of rope. And uh, and so, so yeah, I, I think I was just to, to go back, I, I was a big fan uh, growing up of uh, all those movies from the 40s, you know. Like John Garfield and, and that Girl sort Friday of, and yeah. those, you know, those sort of fast talking, okay. Cary yeah, Grant, yeah, 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 yeah. Rosalind Russell. Since this movie is sort of in that, takes place in that same time period and I thought, you know, that that sort of fast, that patter is 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 so kind of appropriate to the period. Not a lot of psychology. They weren't really worried about psychology. They were just spinning the words out. They, they did it so skillfully that you never missed a syllable, even though they were overlapping and, you know. So the accent for Big Night came from where? Because now that's the accent people listen to if they have to go into an audition and have an Italian accent. Oh, I hope not. They listen to you. <laughs> Everyone's doing oh it. God. That, that's interesting story. I was doing Wings at the time, and I, I'd known Stanley, and Stanley and I had done a play and you know, years before that. And uh, Stanley said, I want you to do this part, and you know, we're going to speak with accents, we're going to speak some Italian in the movie, so we're going to work with the dialect coach. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I've been, I've been playing Antonio Scarpacci for years now on Wings, so he, and he just looked at me very seriously and said, not that accent. <laughs> Uh, that's so, an award-winning show. 
that has made me very popular. Well, thank you. No. Was that improvised, that film, or was that pretty... No, they were pretty, pretty tightly scripted. Did you have an idea at the time that you were making it that this was really special? I felt that it was, it was special for all of us. You never know how a movie is going to translate, you know, to the general population, but we also believed in it and what it was really about. You know, this this idea of um, trying to balance art and commerce, it was something that we, all of us as younger actors were struggling with, you know, how much do I do for art's sake and how much, and how do I not live like a starving artist and what kind of jobs do I want to do for money and, and how do you, how do you... How do you do that balance? Right. Yet? How do you negotiate that? Very tricky. But more more than that, it was you know uh, uh, about you know this this family, this these immigrants, and so I related to that. It was centered around food. I certainly related to that as a Lebanese American. I have brothers, very close to my brothers, close but not without conflict right. too. So all of that was was inside of it. So we, we, we were emotionally, you know, and, and, phys- and personally invested in these characters and then this story. Stanley, um, more so, I think, because it was a story that involved Italians that didn't have to do with the mafia. Right. Example, because he had been, you know, he was confronted as an actor with, you know, auditions with just those kinds of roles after having done one or two of them. And he s- saw the writing on the wall. So when you got out of Yale, you went to ART Theater in Boston. Was that your first job out of school? Oh, yes. American Repertory Theater. And is that where you met Brooke? No, I didn't meet Brooke until 10 years later. I was doing a play on Broadway. The Heidi Chronicles. That's right. And I was doing it. I was with the first replacement cast, and I was doing it with Christine Lottie. She was playing Heidi. David Hyde Pierce was in that. Great cast. And Christine left after four months to do a film. She had an out to do a movie, and I had a couple more months in the play. <clears throat> and Brooke was her replacement. She came out from L.A., and that's how we met. Right away. Yeah, we actually didn't get together right away, but that was the that was the beginning of <laughs> the... My life took a hard right turn then. So I, I'm very grateful to Wendy Wasserstein for writing that play, to, for, to Christine Lottie for taking that for movie. For leaving. <laughs> for taking that movie. Yes. Win-win. Yep. And then I met my wife. And my wife had already adopted a child as a single woman. Wow. Which is interesting because in the play, in Heidi Chronicles, that's what Heidi does at the end of the play. She d- adopts a child as, right. a, as a single woman. And Brooke had already done that. So how old was Josie and Sophie? Is your other daughter? How old was she when you and Brooke got together? Uh, she was two. Okay, teeny tiny. Two and a half. Teeny and when, tiny. And three and a half when we got married. And then uh, after we were married a year, so we adopted Sophie. Now they're grown up. Now, one, now my oldest daughter's engaged and is getting married in the fall. Oh my God. I hope he wears a cheese head yarmulke down the aisle. <laughs> no question. <laughs> I'm sure of it. So did you ever not work? Oh, sure. Oh, yes. You, can you remember that, that day? Because <laughs> it feels pretty no, fluid. No, 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 no. There were a lot of stretches of time. And you always feel like, well, this is it. I'm done now. It's over and I'm never going to. You still feel that way? No one's, sh- well, sure. I think you could ask any actor that. And that's, this is part of the, you know, the landscape that you have to kind of to navigate. You know, and, and the thing I tell people 
is is that that sort of that 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 idea that it's a roller coaster. That's really really true. The trick, what 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 I've kind of come to is that you have to not lose sight of that fact, and that when you're on the when you're on the rise or when you're on the top of the roller coaster, it kind of feels like oh well, I'm at the top now and I've arrived, and so it's just clear sailing from here on out. And you you can't you have to remember that it's a roller coaster. Right. It is gonna go down really fast. It's not gonna stay up there. Right. And then it's gonna go down. And then when you're at the bottom of the roller coaster, you feel the same way. You feel like, all right, I'm at the bottom, it's um, it's finished. And then you lose heart. So the idea is you have to remember it's a roller coaster. It's gonna, you know, and if you just gonna keep your you know, you know, nose to the grindstone, you know, not, you don't lose sight of that fact. You're going to be on the rise again, but just not to, not to feel that those extremes are permanent states. So when you were doing Wings, which was a breakout role for you in terms of being on a long lasting series and, and being on a show for many years, you didn't have the pressure of carrying the show. You had this great part. The show was the show. Not only did I not have the pressure of carrying the show, I came into the show uh, probably a year or a year and a half into it. Right. The train had left the station. It was it was up and running. The machine was, you know, firing on all cylinders. And I was very fortunate. I did one episode. I was brought on to do one episode. And they liked my character, and so they made me a regular. But when I first was on it, it was just a one You were going to guest star on a the show called Wings. That's incredible. It that is. never happens. It never happens. But it happened for you. Were you always lucky? Were you a lucky kid? I do you know that? Do you feel lucky? I I, I feel incredibly lucky. I don't remember being. <laughs> I don't remember being lucky as a kid. You're like I'm lucky. I got in the bathroom today before yeah, that before was school started. I felt very fortunate. I mean, in terms of you know Brooke coming into my life and mm-hmm. and uh, I've been you know I've been I've had challenges in my life where you know I was you know physically I was not in great shape and I came out of those times. And in my career, certain things fell a certain way. Yes, a lot of a lot of uh, luck, I would think, I would say. When did Monk happen after Wings? Uh, well, Wings ended in 96 or 7, as I remember, 97. And Monk came along in like 2000, 2001, maybe. So, so that lasted eight seasons. Right, which... Is extraordinary. Well, I did a see. I did a series in between those. I did a something called Star Graving Mad, which was only lasted one season with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. I remember that. It was on NBC, right? And it was a terrific time. It was uh, Steve Levitan was the craziest guy who did Modern Family, of course, one of the guys, and um, we had a blast doing Star Graving Mad. So that was disappointing when it didn't continue. Oh, I'm still not over it. I'm so sorry. I'm still, well, know, I do have some Tate's time. cookies for you to take home. I'm sure that'll make you feel better. I'm sure of it. I'm cured. <laughs> um, cookies solve everything, Tony. So then Monk comes along, and that sort of changes everything. Yeah, Monk was a um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was an interesting, challenging part, but also it was the first time that I was uh, I was a producer. On a show, and so I had some a real, some input. I had a voice in terms of story, and in terms of uh, you know, I was in the editing room, and I was involved in casting, guest casting. 
USA Network at the time was really uh, going through a transition. They were kind of reinventing themselves. They didn't have a lot of original series. I think it was just us and the Dead Zone, and that was it. They nurtured us. They 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 really took care of us because there wasn't a lot of product, right. and they were trying to compete with the other cable networks. And so it was a, again, luck enters into it. The timing was very. It was, it was just right. That script had been sitting around for years, hmm. first at ABC and then at USA, and it was just languishing there. And did you feel your life change in terms of how recognized you were? I mean, I definitely felt a shift. I think maybe it was harder for my kids because mm -hmm. they maybe found it more difficult to share me and, you know, my time and so forth. But I didn't, I tried not to let it overtake my life. I mean, it wasn't, I worked with some very, very big movie stars mm -hmm. over the years where I really saw that, you know, their lives were hugely impacted. Mine was, I was, I was, I was often recognized, but for the, you know, the wrong person. Who did they think you oh, were? Oh, that was, you know, there would be like, like, oh, you're the guy from Seinfeld. What? There's a bald guy, there's Michael Richards, and there's Seinfeld. <laughs> I'm not one bit, not one not bit really. the guy from Seinfeld. Or then the people would say, oh, I know you, what's your name? And then I'd tell them my name, and they go, no, 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 no sorry, not that that's Tell us what you've done. <laughs> I say, well, you wouldn't really know it. And then I, and they say, yeah, yeah, what have you done? And then I tell them, and they go, no, I don't know that. No. Nope. So now people say, oh, you're an actor, and, and I sort of, uh, you know, okay, sure. Well, who are you again? I can't remember. And I say George right. Clooney. Um, you're about to start a play. Do you get nerves around I, a play? I do, yeah. Uh, some, yeah, I do. And I think that's a good thing. Do you have stage fright or any kind of... I haven't had that, but there's still time. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it stage fright, but, you know, you get twisted up and you get anxious and you always worry that, you know, this time you're not going to be able to kind of find that groove. And and theater is a tricky kind of a animal because there's never any, again, there's never, you're never really arriving. You're, it's always a process. It's mm -hmm. always changing. You're never, you're, you're never really doing it the same way. The audience responds to it. There's so many factors. Your energy is different from day to day. Your, your level of preoccupation or distraction with some other thing that's happening in your world, you know, then, then there, there's, there's so many different act, aspects that make it fluid and elusive. Do you read reviews? No. Did no, you I, ever? I did. I did early on and they drove me insane. And that's why I don't now. I got a lot of bad reviews in the early going, but even on the rare occasion <laughs> when I would get a favorable review, I, I discovered that it just didn't help me. It really didn't there's no real profit in it, I think, for an actor. It's not really, doesn't have anything to do with what we do. It's maybe for, if I was a producer, maybe I would, you know, be interested in, oh, is, is the box office going to change? Right. When I did read reviews, uh, and I still read reviews of, of Other things. people. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Whether it's film or television. Not a lot, but occasionally. Right. But what I discovered was that I've never experienced it. A time when you know, there's there's always for the same thing, the same play or the same movie or whatever it is, there's always a good review and a, and some yeah. bad reviews. Yeah, they never agree. And what's the point? It's it's it doesn't. It's well, a, I know for me, the bad review is right. 
Well, I there can, you are. I can absolutely. Because sure. I, I, I walk in believing that that's what it's going to be, and it only helps solidify my already. Uh, and so, those also, those, those critics are, you know, they, they come and go. I'm still here until somebody stops hiring me or until somebody says, stop doing this now. I'm just going to keep going. And, 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 and I've just seen a lot of them. I don't, where are they? I don't know. They, they come, they go. They're in the critic graveyard. They're not part of my right. process. And I'm more, especially nowadays with the internet, people write their own oh, yeah. reviews yeah. a lot of times. You've been working for decades. Did you ever uh, have a time where you didn't get work? People like say, oh, you never stop. And I do. I mean, I, there are a lot of times where I feel like I'm just idle. I'm just, mm-hmm. my engine is just, you know, when is the next thing going to come along? Right. I don't know. Can you think back to a story in your life, an audition story that haunts you to this day? Can you choose one? In fact, one? there are very few actually good normal audition <laughs> good, stories. To be good, that's heartening. Yes, it's heartening for the rest of us. I, I, I. There are so many. I mean, I could write a book on my awful auditions. One interesting one was that uh, that I, I I just arrived in New York. I'd been up at in uh, Boston working for four seasons and I just came to New York. I had just come and um, one of my very first auditions in the city uh, was for The Female Odd Couple and I went in and read for uh, the producers, I think, and and the director and then um, they had a, I had a call back and I, uh, I think maybe the director was there the second time. Anyway, the second callback was for Neil Simon. But Neil Simon at that time somehow had thrown his back out. Oh. Don't know the story, but he was laid up. I had to go to his hotel room <laughs> to audition for him because he was, you know, propped up on the bed. I mean, it sounds like a weird casting couch story, but it wasn't that. But but uh, so I went to this hotel. I think it was a Sherry Netherland or some fancy hotel. And... There, I walk into this room with the casting director, casting person, and uh, sure enough, there's Neil Simon. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't like a big room. It was just like this is his hotel room. There wasn't a whole lot of room in there. I was standing at the foot of his bed, and he had this kind of like strange, it in, strange kind of, yeah, expression on his face. It was pleasant, but I could tell that he he wasn't moving, and I had to to this scene for a man in bed. And uh, and then I, I got the part. And then I remember when we opened the show, finally, he wrote me a, his opening night card and he said, you, you should always audition, uh, in, you know, in hotel rooms because it was really effective. Because there you like were. That. Was that your Broadway debut? Oh my God! It was my yes. I think my stock went way up. in yeah. my, my dad's eyes. Before I'm that, sure. I'm, I'm not sure he thought, "What's this guy doing?" Yeah. Well, I'm sure. And, and all uh, of a sudden, I was legitimate. Yeah, that's all it took. Well, you're pretty legitimate at this point. I hope you can. If if I give you nothing else today, because you've been on the little. Well, now that I've done your podcast. show, I really feel. Don't you feel good? <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for coming today and being so generous with your time and your life. My I really pleasure. appreciate it. Thank you. Can I have a cookie? Now? Are you kidding? You can have a whole bag. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that count. 
you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.